Hi, this is Julie Christensen with APSI. We're excited to launch the APSI Employment First, Employment for All podcast as a new way to connect with you. This podcast is a way to provide updates, real-time advocacy alerts, and information related to all things Employment First. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And thanks for listening. depending on where you live. Um, thanks for joining us today. We're excited to have Chanel here with us uh, to talk about her experiences and different things that she's done um, over the course of her life and her current position as well. Um, I know that if you're a member of APSI or if you're new, that's okay too. We are focusing on a variety of uh, webinars each month that focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, luckily, one of our board members, Molly Talbot, introduced us to Chanel. Um, She has a pretty cool job um, that I'm probably going to ask her lots of questions about, but I'm going to stop talking now and actually have Chanel introduce herself and we will get started. So Chanel, do you mind introducing yourself and just telling a little bit about yourself to get us started? Absolutely. And um, I just want to say my house phone's been ringing like crazy all day today. So it, it will either not go off at all during this now that I've said something or it will go off multiple times. So I apologize for that. Um, so my name is Chanel. I'm 23 years old and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I was born and raised here, and um, I was actually adopted, so I was adopted by um, my family here in Boston, but I was born in Boston, too, so it was, it was an easy travel. Um, and I was born with something called osteogenesis imperfecta, which is also known as brittle bones disease, so um, I use a power wheelchair to get around. Most times, it's always, um, and yeah, I'm... I have three older brothers. We were discussing that a little bit earlier. You can kind of imagine what that was like growing up. Um, They're also significantly, in some ways, significantly older. It's probably on the younger side for a couple of people, but they're about six six and 12 years older than me. I don't know. I'm not good at math. Um, And I actually, oddly enough, share my birthday with one of my older brothers, um, which has always been both weird and annoying uh, to share a birthday when you're not a twin, probably even more so when you are a twin. Um, but yeah, that was kind of a unique experience growing up. Um, and something that I don't always like talk about because I forget that that's even a thing sometimes, but it, it's obviously a big reminder when it is our birthday um, that we share it. So that's kind of a silly fun fact. Um, I work for the Seattle Kraken as their intersectionality consultant. And I do a wide variety of consulting them. Um, I work with them obviously for accessibility concerns, but I also help out a lot with our um, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, uh, both ones that are not mandated, but are you know thrown out by the league to have us take part in, and then uh, more ones that are more personal to the Seattle area and to our fans. So that's kind of a unique experience as well, collaborating um, through those for those events and, and game nights and stuff like that. Um, and I've been doing this all remotely for the last year, for 14 months or so. And that's been one of the weirdest parts about this. Um, and I think for me as being a younger person and I was still in college when I got this opportunity, um, it was really apparent to me that I probably wouldn't have if it weren't for the pandemic. So I really try to be respectful of that and to be mindful of, you know, while people were really struggling, I got one of the biggest opportunities I probably ever have in, in quite a while. Um, and so I'm really grateful for that and, and all the weird and unique and fun experiences that it's given me, such as this. Thanks so much. Um, so you're outside of Boston, which, um, and I was going to just mention in terms of the Kraken, I'm not sure if all of our listeners or viewers um, know what they are. Do you mind letting yes. folks know? <laughs> yes, I sing it as I said it. So the Seattle Kraken are the 
32nd team to the National Hockey League, the NHL. Um, and it's kind of the more smaller of the major league sports, I would say. I think, you know, you think like baseball and football, probably top two. Um, uh, so it's kind of a very, like it's very New England heavy to to know about hockey and to know what that's like and to enjoy it. Um, I grew up with my brothers playing it and I could not have been less interested in it uh, when they were playing. I was super not into the coldness of it all and the traveling and the practices and all those things, but I had to go because I was the youngest one. You know, you can't leave me at home at the time. So, um, you know, it, it, it all worked out. I think it's kind of just funny. All of us kind of laugh about how, um, you know, they were the ones, my older brothers were the ones that were playing it and more involved in it. And I'm the one that ended up working in sports. So it's always fun to kind of hold that over them in some ways. Absolutely. So, um, Chanel, I know I'll probably ask you more questions specifically about your job and the different things that you're doing in terms of um, consultation. But I'm curious, um, you know, a lot of the people that are members of APSI or, you know, listen to our webinars, they oftentimes are working with transition age youth um, as well. I know in my past position, I got to do a lot of training for teachers and staffs on options for students after high school with disabilities. Um, so I'm curious, would you mind sharing kind of what your um, experience through school looked like? Um, just so, you know, um, hopefully there were some, you know, great things that happened, maybe not, but just suggestions that some of our listeners um, might have uh, get some ideas on. Yeah, I had a very unique schooling situation, I would say. Um, I I uh, grew up in sort of an inner city neighborhood, and um, I went to an, a full inclusion elementary school, which meant that children with all disabilities or all abilities or whatever um, were all consolidated into their age group classes. Um, and so I was not the only child with a disability in my class, and that provided a really unique experience. Um, and I was there from pre K till uh, third grade. And then I moved uh, to the district that my mom was working in when I went to fourth grade. Um, and I had amazing teachers in my full inclusion elementary school. It was one of the best experiences I'd ever had. And I think it really formed who I am as a person today and how I, you know, see things. Um, and I can imagine that that's kind of a weird or unique situation to be in. Um, and then I moved, as I said, and it was completely the opposite. I was the only disabled person uh, in mainstream classes at the time. And it was really a reality check in some ways. It was a culture shock. Um, it wasn't necessarily bad. It didn't feel bad because I think, especially with fourth grade, it's like right before things get bad for middle school as far as like it being awful. Um, so I got in at a good time, I think, transition-wise, um, and I feel like my class had been together for a really long time. They've been with each other since kindergarten, so whenever there's a new kid that comes in, I happen to be the new kid that year. It was actually good for me um, as far as, like, making friends was concerned, but it really was a, a hard transition at the time when I was told I was going to have to move because my school only went up to fifth grade. My elementary school only went up to fifth grade. So we had to pick a, a good time to get me out of there to go to a school that had, you know, more, more the traditional middle school ages. Um, so I've been really fortunate with the teachers that I've had who, you know, never really coddled me or treated me any differently. And I think that that also is because of how I present myself. Um, my brothers were not the best in school. And so I kind of, was like, oh, I don't really want to, you know, end up like that a little bit. They were not fans of homework and neither was I, but I'm a fan of getting it done. So um, school is really important to me. Good grades are really important to me. Um, I think it's probably just more so like the fear of messing that all up. So that was a pretty motivating factor. And um, when I got into high school, I kind of have always uh, gotten more along with the student athletes that I was friends with. Um, so I had a lot of friends that were on the football team. 
a lot of friends that were on the basketball team, you know, like multi-season athletes, um, because they tended in some ways uh, to need more help academically. And it was a challenge for them to sort of connect with our teachers a little bit more. And so, you know, if we had a piece of homework that they were stressed out about or uh, a project or something, like I'd be around to help out because one, I was doing it as well. Um, and two, I kind of just was able to reach them in a way that our, our teachers weren't. And I don't know what <laughs> what the science behind that is, but it's been something that I've grown up with um, a lot uh, as far as just feeling that connection with them a little bit, because I think we both face a lot of adversity. Um, it looked different for us, but I feel like we were able to connect a little bit more in that regard. So um, I had never had any programs at school that I participated in that sort of helped me prepare for the working world or um, even really for college until my senior year. Um, and it was more like the, the general, uh, for the general population of school is to be like, hey, like you're in a, you might need to find a, a summer job or something like that. And so I worked a lot of summers in high school um, with kids and like, you know, summer camp situations. Um, and that was also a super unique experience of being a disabled person trying to teach children, you know, whether it be as a, just a plant in the classroom to kind of, you know, just be there to help out. Or if it was as my last time that I did it, I did it as a paraprofessional, which was also a really unique experience. Um, I feel like I work really well with all ages middle school is kind of my sweet spot which is tricky because middle schoolers are kind of mean um and so our high school is a little bit tricky but for some reason um I'm able to connect with them a little bit more even still you know as an adult so um I've kind of been everywhere and um I've lived this life where as a disabled person sometimes life is kind of marketed to you as you, know, you can go around and talk about your disability all the time and sort of, you know, make people aware and ask people to, you know, help you find a cure and all these different things. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to, you know, it felt really selfish and, and bad at times to want to pursue something individual and not necessarily tied to my disability. Um, but I was obviously able to find a way that kind of married, you know, a hobby and a passion that I had and the reality that I face and how can I use that to help um, the greater, you know, fans or an audience that we don't even serve in a more public way. Um, you know, like we're not the best at uh, providing representation for the disabled community in sports and professional sports. So that was kind of my mission. It's still my mission to try to normalize that a little bit more because, um, you know, I'm, been disabled my whole life but I've been a fan of hockey for half of my life so um to try to find you know a sweet spot of being able to educate people and to learn myself um but also you know have a dream of my own and to pursue that outside of you know whatever I'm going through so um my schooling situation was really interesting I had a lot of help along the way high college was very different. It's obviously a little bit more hands-off. Um, and that's where I really relied on myself and what I, skills I developed in high school, um, as far as like study habits and stuff like that was concerned, um, because you're not having someone hold your hand through all that. Um, which I don't think I ever had, um, growing up. I was more being the hand for someone else, which is totally fine. I think that was more of a shock for me was not helping anybody during my college time, especially when we went remote. So, I don't know that I answered your question. It was very long-winded. Yeah. I, so <laughs> what kind of teacher was your mom? My mom's a physical therapist. Ah, so, interesting. Um, yeah. So I, I continue, like from the beginning of time, I don't think I would have been able to um, avoid the disabled community per se, because she works with kids who, who need um, physical therapy. Um, yep. And so when I wasn't at school, I would go to school with her and I'd get to see her do to work with their kids. So that was always really fun. No, that makes sense. I was curious. My mother-in-law is an OT and my mom um, also worked in a school. So I think that often, you know, it can be helpful. Um, yes. And were any of your siblings in school at the same time as you? 
um, we were all in school at the same time, but we never were all in the same school. Um, my brothers actually went to rival schools. They went to Boston Latin and Boston Latin Academy. Um, I did not get into that school. I was not smart enough when I applied. So that was, I, I was honestly fine with that. Um, and both of them had like made their own little reputations over there. So I was a little bit nervous about going there regardless of which one I had gone into. Um, so I was really lucky that I was able to go to the school district that my mom was teaching in. Well, it sounds like it worked out well for you. And I, yeah. it does also, I kind of agree. You probably transferred at a really good time because those middle school years can be um, challenging. <laughs> so, so um, it sounds like you finished off high school. And then I know we talked a little bit before, just kind of about your college experience. Um, did you use your wheelchair when you went to uh, college? Yes. Yeah, so I'm a full-time power wheelchair user that's my only mobility ever um and it was it was challenging to try to find so I had considered going to school online so already I was kind of thinking about that my mom was not excited about that she really wanted me to get out there and to have the experience um and I was nervous about it uh for a lot of reasons I'd never really even gone to like a sleepaway camp so it's kind of a big deal but I also really needed to leave and I didn't know that um, until I got there and so I knew I was fine uh, independence wise because I kind of had been training for this my whole life to move um, and to experience college uh, so that was an interesting transition but um, it's it's still an interesting transition I feel like to well, now that I'm considering moving um, a million miles away um, but that's you know top of mind as far as um, you know, how I can do that successfully. So, yeah, I mean, I, I often, when I, so I have kids that are in high school currently, so we're going to be starting those college tours and <laughs> I'm probably from my lens. I often think, Oh gosh, this isn't accessible. So, uh, did that have any, you know, weight in yes. terms of where I know you told me, do you want to let everybody know where you went to school and yeah, yeah did it yeah. <laughs> impact your choices? So I, um, applied to a handful of schools. I, I was kind of nervous about this whole situation because you just never know. And I feel like um, my, my high school is pretty competitive. So not really me. I just wanted to make sure I got out of there with good grades. I wasn't really after anything special. Um, but I uh, obviously that was top consideration of, you know, is this accessible? How is this accessible is it too old is it too historic because that comes with its challenges too um just for fun my mom made me go to a school that we weren't sure I was going to get into and it was in an old college town area and we were kind of piecing together like what we could do to make sure it would work um luckily I didn't get into it because I don't think it would have been the best um and it was a little bit further away than we wanted so there was a lot of times, though, when we were doing college tours where um, I think about, in particular, an experience that we forget about all the time. But one of the schools that I got um, a, a scholarship through my high school, um, we went up there and one of their like taglines was like, oh, we hold the door for everybody. Like, this is a really welcoming and warm campus. And then when we were there, um, no one held the door for us. Uh, the theater that we were all kind of you know, getting into um, to to learn about the school or whatever during this introductory meeting, um, the accessible seating area was full of filming equipment, so we didn't we couldn't like sit there um, nicely and comfortably. So that was interesting, and sort of everybody that we uh, met along the way did not really vibe with either myself or my mom. We didn't feel comfortable with the idea. Of of really having to adapt so hard. Um, and it was an older building. It kind of reminded me of Harry Potter world, that type of vibe. And I am not someone that's into that, but I kind of could see that happening. Um, so that was definitely top priority. Um, and I ended up choosing to go to UMass Amherst, which is not without its flaws, um, but the building that I knew I was gonna be in most for my major um, in our communications building was pretty much brand new when I got there. 
Um, and it wasn't the most accessible building, but it was at the time. Um, and so that was a really big relief. And um, the living choices where I was able to stay were a little bit uh, not the best. They kind of tell you like, oh, you can live anywhere you want, but this building over here is the most accessible. So we definitely recommend that one the most. I'd be like, so just tell me that right away. Like, don't tell me I have all these options of, you know, the most and the best one is over here. Um, and I loved that building and I stayed in it the longest. So it worked out fine. It was about a two minute walk to our infirmary. So if anything happened to me, whether it be like a sickness or whatever, I could just you literally roll out of bed and, and go over there. Um, and that happened once the entire time I was there. So it really did come in handy a lot. Um, but yeah, I think accessibility is always top of mind. There's always something that I'm thinking about that just isn't, you know, whether it be if I'm going to, out with my friends, like, you know, having to make sure that where we're going is accessible um, or, um, you know, anything of that nature, like just everything has to be accessible. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, um, unfortunately, just as you mentioned, that isn't always the case. So it's, you know, unfortunate that it narrowed your choices. You know, I think we've come forward with being compliant, um, but there's still a lot of work to do. So, uh, so college sounds like it went well. And then um, I, you, (laughs) were you online for part of it? I think you mentioned yeah, so I was um, I was there for two and a half years, I think. Yeah, so I the spring break of my junior year is when I had to come home for for the year. Um, and my mom at the time was like, "Oh, like we'll be able to come back." And I was like, "No, I'm like I'm packing all the stuff that I I know I want." I just had a feeling. I was like, "If if we do come back, I probably won't be with you. You'll probably be picking up." stuff that we just you know weren't going to bring home with us at the time um and honestly it's so it's such an interesting experience because for me I had a lot of personal responsibilities when I was at school outside of you know doing my work um I had to organize ride pickups to classes I had to organize um personal care attendance their schedules and um you know making sure that they got paid on time so on top of my schoolwork, I had a lot of outside responsibilities that I needed to tend to. So when I came home, um, I lived with my aunt and my uncle. So when I came home, um, that all kind of went away. And I was able to focus a little bit more on school and be a little bit more relaxed in a sense. Um, and things were just more accessible. So I didn't have to worry about, I didn't have to check through the snow to get to class. I just logged on to Zoom. Um, and so again, like how I always you know, I'm really appreciative of what the pandemic has given me. That was one of the things is that it made going to school really easy. Um, I don't think I would have been able to do it for the four years. I think I was really lucky that I got a good balance of the first, you know, the first half of it being um, in person and meeting new people and all those different things. But um, I think I got the best balance of, of online and offline. Nope, definitely sounds like it. That's another really key thing, though, that you not only trying to go to school, do your classes and, you know, have relationships, you had to, like you said, work with people that were helping you. So and overseeing that, which not, I don't not many college students have to do that. So it probably was time consuming and just, you know, one more thing that you had to do. So never thought about it. Um, <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm hoping you could talk a little bit about your job and I'm yeah. sure people will probably have questions about it cause it is different. Um, I, you know, of, of course I'm a big hockey fan. So when I saw that, I thought it was interesting and just, um, your title, you know, is, is different. So I'm curious, how did you, you know, find the job? And, um, if you could just kind of talk a little bit about it, I think that would be great. Yeah, so I, in the summer of 2020, um, was really, I was really interested in in how I could help um, just be more effective as a human being. What can I do to give back to my community and to give back um, in a way that made sense and a way that was accessible to me? Um, And I didn't really know where to begin. And 
at the time, we were kind of watching the sports world react to the real world and, and what that looked like and how how they were being affected by it um, and the response to it. And so I wrote a couple um, pieces that were kind of just explaining, you know, my experience with hockey and feeling like there wasn't a place for me um, as a disabled person. Because when you think about sports like this, your idea of a fan does not automatically include someone with a mobility device or a disability. Um, and so I kind of wanted to change that narrative in a way and bring for, forward the community that we weren't serving um, in a more public way. And I kind of just you know how to call out to the league itself, to the National Hockey League, and just to you know any team that might be listening that might want to change the way that they serve their community um, because you know we have to buy have buy-in from our local communities as as teams um, and to build a better fan base too because there's it's obviously not perfect I feel like it's one of the more tough um, fan bases to be a part of because I I love most sports um, I'm not a big golf fan but I I watch football I, I you know see basketball games um, and I did, I participated when I was in school. Um, I worked for our, our women's basketball team and I worked for our football team too um, for a couple of years. And it wasn't really what I what I thought I was most effective at. It was just kind of like, how can I get involved? I need, you know, extracurricular engagement. So, um, you know, I was at home, I was watching all the, all the news and I was watching, um, you know, Everything sort of unfolds, and um, the hockey community online is is very tight knit and it's very interesting. And you can connect with people online from way far away. It's an amazing tool if you use it with good intent. Um, and so, the some of the articles that I wrote got passed around through the community. Um, one of the ones that I felt was most important, I kind of pushed. Uh, to people that I knew had a bigger audience so that they could share it to get my story out there. And it ended up getting in the hands of my boss, um, which was really, really just uh, nuts. Um, because at the time, they didn't even have a name yet. They were just NHL Seattle. And so she asked me if she could, you know, present this to, to her team because she wanted to, you know, make sure that they were being um, impactful. And you know, making sure that this was something that was their priority. Um, and I was like, "Well, it's it's a public article. Like, you didn't even have to ask you to share it. Like, that's totally fine." Um, and she wanted to stay connected to me, and so she gave me her email and her information. And um, you know, we chatted on and off. Um, and then one day, I was like, "I can't believe like I actually have the ear of somebody right now. If I don't ask for something, I could possibly change the landscape." of this team that's starting from scratch. Um, Seattle's brand new, we just began our first season this year. Um, and to see the potential there, because um, I'm, I'm from Boston, as, as you guys know, and that's an original six team. Um, and their history is very solid and they don't like to go off the beaten path per se. So I knew it was harder to get into, into that franchise so to have the opportunity to potentially work with a brand new one was really interesting to me and so I wrote her a, a long email and was like I would love to help you guys you know make really thoughtful and meaningful decisions um, I think you know I was brought on originally to help with their mobile app um, and the accessibility around the mobile app and so she asked me if that would be something I was interested in she was like compensate you whatever and I was like I don't care like I think it's cool to you know be working on an NHL team's lap like that's totally mind-blowing to me um and because we had been talking about that opportunity through email I was like I want to do more um I want to help with you know like our fan engagement and our fan development and um really anything I can get my hands on to help um make it more inclusive and more diverse and unique um, and just something that I had never seen reflected uh, in the best way possible. So, you know, I, I put it out there to her. It took her only, I think, a week and a half to respond, but it felt like a month. 
I was like, did I just mess this whole thing up? Like, I don't know what's happening anymore. Um, and then she asked me to have a, a call with her, you know, when she eventually got back to me and she offered me um, the part-time position. And that was honestly like one of the weirdest, the coolest things to happen. Um, but that's kind of how I got started. Um, it's intersectionality because um, I am a mixture of all these different things. I'm adopted, I'm Asian, I'm a woman, I'm disabled, I'm all these different things that tie into my experience and how I could help them. And so we kind of, you know, I, I titled it the way I titled it. Um, I'm working on uh, adapting that title to be something that more people can understand without having to Google it. Um, because a lot of people don't know what that even means. And I don't even really do it justice when I describe it too, but I think it's one of those words that, that once you get a general idea of it, you can kind of come up with your own description of it. Um, and to me, it's just all these layers that make, make up me and make up how I can be effective, um, whether it be in hockey or just in life in general. So um, that's kind of how I got the position. And um, obviously, it was, we were all remote at the time. So that was also helpful. There was a lot of like chain reaction things that if we weren't in such a weird time, um, that they just would never have come together that way. Um, and I was talking to someone yesterday and I was like, I probably would have ended up working, you know, with in hockey at some point. They think it would have been in the more traditional, like, baseline, you know, internship to part-time to full-time type deal. Um, so it's been an interesting trip so far. Absolutely. So um, I was going to ask you just in terms of diversity and, um, you know, do you think there's a certain, like, do you see, if you look at data, um, are you seeing that maybe certain people are more interested in hockey and when you talk about diversity are you you know trying to think of how you can engage other fans yeah um hockey is a super white male sport um it's very not diverse and one of the things that you know we take pride in in seattle is how diverse our um our franchises our club is so um you know, the people that you don't often see, um, not our players, we have a really diverse group of people. And, um, you know, it was interesting. One of the things that I noticed um, in a lot of spaces that I'd look around and I'd be the only person, you know, of color, basically, uh, you know, um, and that's something that I grew up with. So when I was in my early elementary school, white was kind of the minority. So then to go to my mom's more suburban area, um, growing up, it was completely the opposite. I think there was maybe five or 10 of us that, you know, were diverse. Um, and so I've always kind of been this person that's inserted themselves in these situations, not necessarily by choice by any means, but trying to change how, how our fan base looks. So um, Washington itself is a super diverse area, which is really cool and exciting. Um, and, you know, we want to make sure that we're presenting our product in the sense that everybody can enjoy it, um, that, you know, no matter uh, if you actually play or if you don't play, if you're a girl, if you're a boy, you're non-binary, like whatever, um, that you can enjoy hockey and you can be a part of our fan base and not, you know, have to worry about anything happening, any any negative, you know, uh experiences and I think that that's super important to me because the large scale of, of our audience as far as just hockey in general is super basic I would say it's super not you know as diverse as it could be um, and it's hard because we are challenged all the time because we do all this amazing work within our community but you know all of our players are white so it's kind of like how do we you know actually walk the walk and talk the talk when it comes to having you know really amazing youth programming and our connection with people in Seattle and um, within our community, within the state. Now we make sure that everybody's buying in, even if at the current moment, if, you know, our on-ice product doesn't necessarily reflect, um, you know, what our greater mission is. Um, so we try to find that balance of, of making sure that everybody understands that, you know, we're in the earliest of early stages of this um, and that we're reaching for a goal 
as a league to become more diverse and inclusive. Um, but sometimes that does start with like showing positions of work that, you know, you might not see yourself reflected in normally. Um, and I didn't think I could work in the sport at all because I didn't see anybody that looked like me as far as even just being a woman at first. Um, that sort of started coming up more and being less of an issue when I got older. Um, and then it just became like people who weren't white women. And now that's getting a little bit more different. Um, and now it's hoping that there's going to be more uh, disabled people or even if there are now, um, that they're more centered and more talked about. Not necessarily like you have to do a whole press release about it because I think doing it authentically is important. But um, how to, to figure out like if this is even something that I can do despite the fact that I don't see anybody around here who resembles me at all. Yeah. Um, I was actually going to ask you, because I know that you had talked a little bit about the youth programs as well. So, you know, in terms of providing opportunities for a variety of um, people, you know, across the board, I'm just curious, you know, what initiatives maybe you're helping put in place or having conversations about that would increase, you know, opportunities for people. Yeah. So we, um, we have a foundation, and I think through our foundation, we um, highlight our youth programming. And most of it right now is a curriculum that we plan to bring into schools in the local area of just sort of teaching them about the game, very basic, uh, not necessarily making them travel outside to like come to our, our practice arena and then just actually stay. I think that's obviously a goal and something that we do regularly now, but not necessarily what we bring to their schools. It's kind of like we're going to bring this to your school to go home, tell your parents and they can look up, you know, when you can come by and, and join a little league team or whatever um, to, to participate. So um, one of the things that I was able to achieve uh, was a more diverse um, curriculum. And I was asked by one of my colleagues to look at the curriculum we had uh, to bring to the school. And it's all very basic and, and easy to digest stuff because we're showing it to kids um it was like basic stick handling things and, and form and um stuff like that and one of the parts of it was our warm-up section and it was interesting because within the book that we have um I think we had a little graphic about like passing the puck and there was a girl in a wheelchair in the graphic and I was like whoa this is really awesome like I didn't even think that this was going to be in here, you know, like it's not the traditional audience that I would have thought of. So I was already really impressed. And then I went back and I looked at the warm up section and I saw that all the um, exercises were like standing positions. So I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, interesting. Um, you know, I have done adaptive PE, physical education my entire time up until like late uh, high school. So I kind of have always been going through these warm-ups and have, you know, had ideas in my head of what we could implement. Um, so I wrote back, like, it looks great, hyped it up a lot, and then said, is there any way we can add um, some adaptive warm-up exercises? And I was like, you don't even have to include, you know, the graphic of, of a person in a wheelchair doing it. You can just do someone sitting down and doing it. But I think there'd be benefits to just showing that that's in there as an option. Um, and so we were able to come up with that curriculum and it made it into the final cut, which is really special to me because one of the more tangible products or projects I could see come to life and to know that that's, you know, whether or not they actually have a student that can use that. Um, it didn't matter because, you know, who knows? Um, and it was really just cool to see that come to life. Oh, that's great. And I think, you know, a lot of folks don't realize that there is adaptive PE or physical education yeah. um, that you mentioned. I know that um, where my kids go to school, you know, anybody could be in that class and that they are learning lots. Like you said, you know, is there, are there things you can do from a seated position? It doesn't always have to be standing. There's lots of different options out there, which I don't know that everybody realizes. So, yeah. yep, that's great. Um, so my other question in terms of your job, um, you know, in terms of the fan base and, you know, other initiatives that you're doing, um, 
how can you, you know, kind of explain what you're doing on that front as well, in addition to the youth programs, which is great. Yeah. So when I started there, um, we had something called Disabled Hockey Week, and we highlighted some our local sledge hockey team, and we highlighted another person in our organization, um, a colleague that I have, and then myself and our radio host did a Q&A session um, that was live. Uh, which was really stressful because it was live. And it was kind of in the middle of the night for me. It was around 8 p.m. my time um, to sort of balance the East Coast, West Coast time situation. And it got a lot of concurrent viewers. I tried not to pay attention to that, but um, we did a couple things uh, in the beginning to sort of advertise it. And it was really just to you know talk about my role, obviously, and it had happened that it was a month and a half or so into my time with them. So it was really daunting in a lot of ways. Um, I didn't really have much to show or as far as what I'd been able to achieve at the time. But to me, it was really important to show, you know, that, I, that I'm here, that I'm a disabled body in this weird niche sport. And um that you know that another kid could see that and, and be impressed by it or you know be inspired by it and I don't you know love to be this person that um draws inspiration out of people like I don't want you to applaud me because I'm breathing um but if I'm actually doing something worthwhile or something different I feel like that to me is the most important and so that was something that I was able to do that really gave the community a sense of, of my presence there and so that helped build more of my relationship with the fans because I um, have been a fan and understand the what it's like to be a fan in the online space and to kind of have this really strong community. Um, so that's always been kind of a, um, a touch point for me because I've been able to see what that's like and to sort of, you know, be connected in that way with our fans. Um, and then over the summer when we had something called the expansion draft, which is when we uh, show, you know, the world, I guess, um, the team we're going to be having this year, I was asked to present one of our picks, which was our first uh, 32 team members, which was uh, honestly one of the most stressful 30 seconds of my life. It was on ESPN. It was big. It was a lot. Um, but the response I got after it was something that I just was not expecting. There were a lot of parents messaging me. I got even people with disabilities messaging me. Um, and even though I had grown my audience over the last like year and a half, um, that kind of tipped the scales for me as far as bringing forward the disabled community into this conversation. Um, because there were people that were super impressed by it and really wanted to know, you know, how, how can they do this and how can they make this sort of impact or just to know that I'm there to sort of have a goal to get to, you know, and I, I have those conversations still and they like blow my mind because um, I don't ever think that I'm doing a whole lot. And I think I just, you know, um, I just don't give myself the, the amount of credit because I just, I feel like I've only scratched the surface in a lot of ways, um, but that's been an interesting experience to just hear the response from people and, and their families. So we do have a question. So, <laughs> and it relates to what you're talking about, which is great. Um, uh, one of our listeners wants to know, how did you find the motivation to keep trying when you didn't see yourself in all these situations? So, uh, you know, you talked a lot about representation and again, I mean, ideally it should just be normal every day yeah. that you're a person, um, you know, uh, announcing a pick for a team, but you're right. I it probably was, you know, something different, uh, that others had not seen in the past. So yeah. How do you keep up that motivation? Um, it's, it's, it's honestly like week by week sometimes, um, this is a very fast moving sport and it's climate as far as fans and it's, um, just in general changes all the time um stuff always seems to be happening with us good or bad um and for me 
I do go through like waves of like, am I doing enough? Like, is this even worth it? Things just you know either seem underwhelming or overwhelming, and it's trying to find the balance of of you know what I'm able to achieve while I'm here. And um, it's tricky. I'm not gonna lie, it's tricky. But I feel like I've been in this situation my entire life, whether I've wanted it to be or not. And I think in anything that I would have tried to attempt within sport, if it wasn't what I was doing right now, um, I got a degree in communication. So I was kind of leaning towards some more marketing, uh, comm, PR type thing. Um, so even that would have been a feat to be a disabled woman in sports from that side of things. So it was going to be a challenge <laughs> no matter what. So I think it's kind of just for me, it was accepting that it wasn't going to be easy because really nothing has been super easy for me. Um, and I think the general fear of um, being unemployed as a disabled person in general and what the job planning process is like is so stressful. Um, and I've, I've gone through that even just with summer jobs. And so to think about my experience around that I was like I get somewhere I have to stay and make sure I water this plan and make sure I'm doing it well um, because I want it to be a sustainable position and you know I've been kind of setting it up like if I'm not here someone has to replace me like this needs to be a permanent fixture in our organization whether it's me or someone else um, and that has been received you know by the league and, and by other clubs as well like people are paying attention to this because something that I kind of forget sometimes um, because it seems so insular, um, but it, it is becoming something that people are talking about. That makes sense. And I think, you know, always having that in um, the back of your head that making sure that it's a position that someone else could walk into as well. I was going to ask if you had heard from other um, franchises or organizations um, about adding additional positions similar to yours. Yeah. So I've kind of been developing recently, um, you know, like what this role actually entails, like what are the day-to-day -day things that I do? Um, because I'm, I'm trying to flip it into a full-time position and to try to present to someone what I've been able to achieve in the last 14 months is really hard because time feels really weird right now. Um, I feel like I've done a lot and I feel like I've done nothing at all, but it's just because it just doesn't feel like we're living in real times. Um, I think the remote part has something to do with that too. Like it was very connected in, into my computer and then not anything else. Um, so I in the middle of, um, or in the beginning of this year, this season, um, I had started to sort of connect with more um, DE&I programs within different clubs just to reach out because I felt like I was in a position, I still feel like I'm in a position kind of that's so new that I don't really have a lot of people to talk about it with. Um, and so it's kind of missing something as far as like everybody's doing their own job and have their own thing like they're in HR they're in marketing or they're in comms and they're doing their own thing and they're not really focused on you know our DE&I stuff and so it was kind of hard for me to feel like um you know that I had a place here that um, I had just anybody really to talk to about this stuff um so that's been kind of hard and so I started reaching out to the clubs and like kind of seeing what their climate is like and it's the same um, this is a really new concept to sports, um, which, you know, you, you can say whatever you want about that, but it is something that is new and important. Um, and everybody's trying to find their footing in this space uh, to really do this in a, in a way that makes sense um, to their communities and for their team. So everyone's looks a little bit different. Everyone's focus is a little bit different. Um, but I've actually had a lot more connections with teams in Canada and discussing, you know, what, you know, what we're doing, um, what they're doing. And uh, that's always been interesting to me um, because uh, a lot of the teams in Canada, at least one in particular, has more built out DEI program. And so I was really interested in what they were doing and if they were considering having someone like me um, in a role like this over there. 
Um, and at the time, I didn't really have anything, you know, to present to them to be like, well, this is what I, I obviously explained what I do, but to give someone more like a concrete example. Um, so I think once I sort of define what that is in a, in a productive way, in a way that can make sense for a lot of people to absorb, um, you know, I'll probably work with the league and try to try to use the league as a way to help me connect with other clubs because, you know, I'd ask uh, for someone to, to just interview or to talk to them and it would always it would always go off with that hitch. Um, so it's kind of like I could do it by myself, um, but it would be a little bit it would be nice to have a little bit of help to break into those spaces to start these conversations. Absolutely. So we have about nine minutes left. I have a few other questions, but I was that I can ask, but I was going to see if any of our um, attendees either wanted to raise their hands to ask a question um, and I can unmute you, or if anyone had questions they wanted to put in the chat box and I'd be happy to read them to Chanel as well. So um, does anyone have any questions? Okay, well, if you do have a question, feel free to put it in the chat box. Um, I do have a question, though, Chanel. Um, in terms of supported employment and different, um, you know, supports that you might choose, do you work with either with VR in your state, or are you able to, you know, do things? Um, I guess without supports for supported employment. I'm just curious, um, you know, what you've done in the past and what you're doing now. I know with COVID, it probably looks a little different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that, uh, you know, the Kraken, they have um, some programs that we use to help with employment with our part-time employees and our full-time employees. I was not a part of that. I had my own weird way of how I got my job. Um, and I was offered some assistance when I was in col uh, college, in high school, um, with the whole transition and everything. Um, I sadly did not have a great experience with that. The, the rep that they had was so disorganized that I was like, I don't, I think I'm, I'm more organized by myself. And so luckily not going that route helped me, um, so far, but I think for me, um, asking for help is one of the biggest things that I push because um, I've been in so many situations where I'd struggle with something for a really long time and then I'd finally ask someone for help and then it would be over within two seconds. And I'm like, I am someone that hates wasting time. Um, I love time management and, and everything around that. So I'm always, you know, pushing and advocating for people to ask for help and to ask for you know, experts help and people who know what they're doing. My person did not know what they were doing, so I did not ask for the help. Um, but, you know, it's all a learning curve as far as, you know, what people are comfortable with, you know, doing themselves. Um, but I've been the most successful when it's been teamwork related and um, collaborative and stuff like that. So it's, it's really important to talk about programs like that. Um, and I think it probably would have helped in some ways, depending on which one I went through as far as, you know, preparing me for what it was like to be managing other people. Um, because I think to myself now, I'm like, okay, on my resume, can I put that I literally managed four people, three to four people at one time, like what their schedules were and payroll stuff and all those things. Because those are skills that, you know, not the average 20, 21 year old at the time wouldn't have to be worrying about necessarily. They'd more be the ones clocking into something instead of, you know, managing all these things. Um, and those are just skills that were completely learned on my end. And, and because I'm such very organized, heavy person, it was easy-ish for me once I got the hang of it. Um, but I think, you know, these services are so important to engage with and to, to talk about because just the way that we present them to people, I think, is really important and how we can do that effectively without making it feel like a, a big deal. Yep, um, I would agree. Because I think, I think at the time, it definitely overwhelmed me a little bit. Um, and, you know, when you're in your late teens or whatever, like this is the last thing that you want to be thinking about. You know, you want to enjoy your summer and, and go to school and all these things, but that's not necessarily the reality for everybody. So, No, I think you're right. I mean, even talking about, you know, students that – receive additional supports, probably kids that your mom works with in terms of PT, OT, speech, um, you know, oftentimes 
a lot of their time is taken up with those amazing supports. It's great, yeah. but yeah, it's, you know, how do we do it maybe a little more naturally or just, you know, understand that it can be a lot, especially if you're in high school and <laughs> trying yeah. to manage everything in addition to, um, you know, transition supports that you might be getting. So it sounds like that you have used things that are in your environment and people around you um, pretty efficiently in terms of getting the support that you need, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I sort of forgot to mention earlier, like I was in um, special education programs for most of my time in school, Um, definitely when I switched districts. And then I had my services in high school for one semester, pretty much, or yeah, half of half of the year, and then they took them away from me um, because I was doing so well. Because um, my school just didn't really know how to deal with situation because we had our separate, um, you know, areas for kids with needs of all kinds or whatever that weren't in mainstream classes, and so I was kind of an anomaly. I think because they weren't really prepared for what that looked like, I was just automatically shoved into special education programs and. Um, it was it was just like impossible to keep me in them because it took away from my other classes and stuff like that. But then I'd have this like free block in my schedule where I was supposed to be in that class and then I'd go back to my special education um, room and I would help the other students. And that's kind of, you know, what I was talking about earlier with working with student athletes, like a couple of them were in those classes with me. So I would use that time, you know, to help tutor them or, or to do our work together at least. Um, and so that was a unique experience being both um, in mainstream and in special education classes. Oh, absolutely. And I think probably a lot of students have experienced similar things. So mm-hmm. thanks for sharing that. Um, and ideally, we want everyone integrated. But right. Yeah, that is the goal. So uh, before we hop off today, I know we only have two more minutes. I did just want to see if you had any advice or any parting words before we hop off. Um, no, I, I don't think I do other than, you know, kind of what I said earlier, like asking for help is super important. Um, you know, we weren't necessarily built as a society to be alone and separated from each other. We were built on community and togetherness and Obviously, now is a challenging time to, to get that um, and to adapt that to what our world looks like right now. But there's plenty of ways to help people without, um, you know, being in, in the room with them. Um, and I know that for a fact since I've been able to do my job effectively remotely for as long as I have. So, um, you know, just check in on people, security, it would be nice to people because you don't know what they're going through. Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, use a lot of different words to describe me, but, you know, I try to act in kindness as much as I can, even when I'm not feeling the best, um, because someone could be dealing with much worse and I don't know it, um, and I'm interacting with them, and, you know, it doesn't hurt to be kind. Um, I'm, it's also weird to say, because naturally, from where I'm from, we're a little bit more cold and aggressive, um, and I'm also that, too, when it's necessary. But um, for the most part, I try to, to lead with compassion. That's funny, Chanel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm from uh, New York. So I think I, people often think that about me too. So <laughs> only when it's necessary, but otherwise act with kindness. I thank you. I would absolutely agree. So thank you again for your time today. And thank you for our listeners and viewers. Um, if you have, you know, any questions, feel free to email at info at And I'd be happy to share Chanel's email if you have questions for her um, that she didn't address, or if you want to just, you know, reach out, I'm sure she would love to hear from you as well. And Chanel, I have one last question before we hop off. I know you're a sports fan, so are you a Patriots fan? Sadly, I am a Patriots fan. Born and raised a Patriots fan. Um, It's definitely in my blood. Um, And it's weird. I've not been watching really consistently since Tom Brady left. It's been a little bit of a difficult situation for me mentally um, and emotionally. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely all of them. The Red Sox. Bruins, Patriots, it's well, 
I'm yeah. really hoping that my bills, because I live in Western New York, I'm worried about <laughs> are going to win <laughs> on Saturday for the playoff. Oh, you game. might. You might. <laughs> we better. <laughs> We're <that> right now. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, thank you again. And um, I hope to see folks at the end of the month. We'll be having another webinar with um, Ryan, uh, who is on our national board, and he'll be covering some different things that are applicable for employment support professionals and managers in the field. So more to come on that. But thanks again, Chanel. No problem. Thank you.